0: Welcome to another episode of The Sword and the Spirit. This is where we take a look at the issues of the day, both in and out of the church, via teaching and interviews. My goal here is to stimulate thoughts and conversations that will lead to positive growth and action on the part of the listener. My prayer is that those who have an ear to hear will hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. back to the sword and the spirit and thank you for all those of you who take the time out to listen of your busy day to uh, listen to the words uh, that we talk about here in the sword and spirit today we're going to continue with the prayer of jesus this chapter and you'll hear me say this about practically every chapter but every chapter but yeah this chapter is rich in biblical truth it's loaded. Um, So again, this is not an exhaustive study, not making any attempt to do so, but it will help you and enrich you if you're keeping an open mind. All right, we're going to start reading from chapter 17, verse 9, and we'll probably stop at the 18th verse. So without any further ado, let's take a look at this. And we're going to look at the prayer of Jesus today. What did Jesus actually pray or intercede for the church?
1: I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you.
0: Amen. Yeah, that's chock full of a lot of good stuff in there. And I did let it go down. I said verse 18, but I let it run to uh, the 22nd uh, verse. So let's r- r- recap. Now, Jesus is the intercession of Jesus. This is Jesus praying for his apostles. And I, I added that other part in because I wanted to see he wasn't just praying for the apostles, but he also included the rest of us down through history who would believe because of their word and we need to what this is this is a glimpse of how God loves us how he cares about us and we're going to take a look at the heart of God that's what we're looking at what is God's heart and it's being revealed through this prayer he's letting us know how much he cares about us and and he intercedes and he prays for us. We're going to talk a little bit about intercession uh, a little later in one of the other podcasts. And this whole series here is on prayer, prayers of the saints. Now we're looking at the prayers of Jesus and we'll go back around to some of the prayers of the saints a little bit to talk about intercession. But I want to deal with the two main prayers in the Bible. Obviously Moses was one. And then there's the prayer of Jesus. Um, but notice how... He starts out with God's glory. And of course, because he is God, he has to be included in that, obviously. Um, talks about God's glory and knowing God and what etern- defines eternal life and what it means to follow him. You can, it, it, this is so rich and, and, and a good insight into God's care and his heart and his love for us. I mean, this is absolutely awesome. And it is also a pattern for us to intercede, and what I'm hoping that we'll learn from this series is we'll learn how to intercede for the church and for one another and you're looking at the prayers of the saints and you see the larger the grand narrative in God in the prayers uh we may look at a few others uh prayers, but they all they all have one common denominator it's always in the context of. God's divine plan or advancing God's plan in the earth as to what he wants to do. And I'm saying this because I want us to take a good hard look at how we pray and ask ourselves the question, are our prayers focused on the grand narrative? Are our prayers focused on uh, what God wants? And again, I'm not against praying for what our our own personal needs. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying in addition to praying for our personal needs, we need to also level up a little bit and start looking at the grand narrative and start praying for the nations. And I'll give you some uh, information on where you can get some material if you're interested in praying for the nations. But yeah, that's one of those things that I think is uh, absolutely awesome. So let's take a quick look at this. Uh, The prayer of Jesus intercedes for the believers. The most important thing he keeps repeating here is that we are kept, that none would be lost. It is not the desire of Jesus for any of his people to be lost. In fact, he said he lost none except the son of perdition so that the scriptures can be fulfilled. Other than the fulfilling of the scripture with the betrayal, that was it. He lost uh, not a single one of his apostles. And God will not lose you. You're saved. God's going to keep you. God will not lose you. Okay, I don't believe we have a jump out Jesus where the first mistake you make, that's it. Uh, Jesus is interceding for us. He's our advocate. When we sin, he pleads for us. Um We're going to look at uh, one of the prayers uh, of repentance in the Bible, probably the greatest one, and to get a sense of how to repent from sin. Um, But again, Jesus prays for us to be kept. So let's get right to it. Okay, through or because of of God keeping us, we become one, the unity that we have in the church. Now Jesus wants the church to be one. Now, this is a tall order. You can't get two people in a room to agree on everything, and sometimes you can't get them to, to, two people in a room to agree on anything. Let's, let's look at our political realm. Democrats and Republicans told not only do they not agree on what to do, they don't even agree on the narrative. One group is saying, this is what happened. The other group is saying, no, this is what happened. Okay? Husbands and wives don't always see eye to eye. Uh, they disagree sometimes. You've got preachers that don't always agree. You've got, you know, people who are professionals. Same profession, but they got two different points of view. You know, I listen to the sports commentary. These, all these football greats are doing a commentary on the game, and they're picking their teams, But they don't even, as good as they are, as much as they know football, because having played it themselves, they don't even always agree on every aspect of the game and what coaches and other teams should be doing or not doing. So when Jesus talks about being one, I'm like, he can't possibly mean we agree on everything. That's just never going to happen. You know, um, you want to you see that if you're married and have children, just ask everybody where they want to go to eat and see how many different answers you get. Um, you know, like, like, like a commercial girl wants a bucket of chicken. And you're like, what? <laughs> um, yeah, so that's, that's the thing. So what does Jesus mean by us being one? How does that even achieve? Is that even possible? We'll talk about it in the next segment. <laughs> Promise, what did Jesus mean when he said we should be one? Well, here's what I how I look at it, and this is what I believe that he's referring to because you can't possibly mean that that we're going to agree on everything, that's just never going to happen. You know, I like warm weather, my wife likes cold weather. Well, there you go. See the oneness that's in the church is that the true body of Christ, I believe there is true oneness in the body of Christ. There's the church triumphant. That's the church that's gone on to heaven. And then there's a church militant. That's the ones of us who are on earth who are warring. And remember I told you before we were doing the book of Revelations how the church is both visible and invisible. In other words, let's look at it this way. If I'm sitting in a pulpit, or if you're sitting in a pulpit, and you're looking at a congregation of, say, let's just say for the sake of argument, a thousand people, and you're looking out into the the congregation, there's a thousand people sitting out there, you're on the platform. All of that thousand people, maybe, let's give it a good number, let's say three-quarters of them are actually saved. That means you have a quarter of the people that aren't actually saved at all. Because everybody you're looking at in the church from the pulpit isn't saved. That would be nice if that was true, but uh, that's not necessarily the case. Okay. A lot of, and yes, people come to church for all kinds of reasons. You got counterfeit conversion, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, but that's the church visible. When you see that thousand people, that's the church visible. The three quarters of the people who are actually saved. Is the church invisible? In other words, you can't go down there and pick them out. You can't say, well, this one here is saved, this one isn't. You don't know. You can't tell by looking. Tares and wheat look identical. You can't tell them apart. That's why Jesus said, don't try to root them out the church because you end up destroying some of the wheat with the tares because you can't tell the difference apart. I can't tell the difference apart. Now, God knows who belongs to him. The Lord knows those who are his. And then he, he dovetails it with it the Lord knows those who are his and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And Jesus said, a tree is known by its fruit. So the true body of Christ is unified. We are one. I have Christian brothers who are in the Episcopal Church. I have Christian brothers and sisters who are in the Anglican Church. And yes, if you even in the Catholic Church, yes, I know, um, there's a whole different dynamic going on there. And perhaps in another podcast, I'll clarify that. But I'm just going to leave you hanging for now. Um, I have Christian brothers who are in the Baptist church. I have Christian brothers who are uh, in various denominations. Now, do we agree on every point of doctrine? No. That's just not going to happen. But we fellowship. We enjoy each other's company. We discuss our differences in a civil manner. And there's no animosity when we part company. I don't hate them. They don't hate me. I don't condemn them to hell. They're not condemning me to hell. You know, we're all, some of my Christian brothers, they said, you know, they, they, they're mid-trib, the rapture being the middle of the tribulation. Others say the rapture and the second coming are the same thing. Others, you know, I, I'm pre-trib. The rapture comes before the tribulation. But we love each other. We encourage one another. And on the... The basic tenets of the faith. We're in 100% agreement. Uh, most churches, if you look at the doctrinal statement of... of uh, here's a good assignment for you. Do, do a research on the doctrinal statement of some of the mainline churches. Like the Episcopal or the... Um, or look at some of the doctrines of the uh, Anglican... Which is Episcopal, Anglican in England. Uh, Methodist church, Baptist churches, etc. Look at some of the basic belief systems. And you pretty much read all their doctrinal statements. They almost all say the same thing. What the enemy has done is try to divide us against one another on the secondary issues, ones that have nothing to do with our salvation. Like I said, pre-post or mid trib rapture. That has nothing to do with your salvation. Whether you should be dunked, immersed, sprinkled, that has nothing to do with anyone's salvation. None of this stuff has anything to do with salvation, you know, whether you should speak in tongues or don't speak in tongues. Um, you know, cessationists, Whether the, some people believe the gifts of the Spirit have ceased, others believe it, it, the gifts have continued on, etc. Well, look, you know, those are all secondary issues. But on the main and plain things in Scripture, repentance and faith in Christ... Living a holy life, godly life—all those things we agree on. So, yes, we are one. We are one. Christ's prayer is answered, and yes, we, in, over a period of time, I'm pretty sure we'll become more like one. Uh, another way that that demonstrates that we're one is when the in the time of the uh, Japanese Japanese internment camps in uh, when they had invaded China. And a lot of the people who were arrested were Christian missionaries, but they were missionaries from different denominations. Some were Christian Missionary Alliance, some were uh, Presbyterian, some were uh, Baptist, whatever. But once they got into that internment camp, all those labels dropped off. We were just Christians and they prayed together. They fasted together. They held services together. They preached together. You know nothing like persecution to make you get cozy with your Christian brother or sister from another denomination. When we're all under the gun, Uh, the world doesn't make a separation or distinction to say, "Well, we'll get the Baptists; we won't get the Pentecostals." They're going to get—they're coming for all of us. Uh, So that's another way that shows us that we are actually one. So yes, on the surface it looks divided, but when you meet a real Christian brother and sister—I mean somebody that's saved, just like you're saved in spite of what denomination they may go to, there's a connection there. There's a oneness there. There's where you can sit and break bread and have fellowship together, etc. Um, I've broken bread, you know, in a, in a, was coming up with a young man, um, you know, when I didn't have a home church at the time, but, you know, and we working with Pivot Ministries and Teen Challenge, we visited other churches. If I've broken bread with... With Christian brothers in Baptist churches and Episcopal churches, and we've taken communion together and, and established covenant with one another. And like I said to this day, I have Christian brothers and sisters who are uh, in different denominations and, uh, than I am, but man, there's a oneness. We love to get together, we're happy to see each other, we sit down, we laugh, we joke, we have a great time with one another. So don't let the devil fool you and say, Oh, the church isn't one. Yeah, we're one. I know on the surface, you see the wars and the different things going on in the church. But that does not mean there's not a oneness in the body of Christ. That's just normal living. Like Again, like I said, you can't get two people in the room to agree on everything. And in some cases, you can't get two people to agree on anything, practically, uh, in the natural. But when it comes to, to serving Christ and loving him, um, there is a genuine love uh, for the body. But you can't always see it because the church visible dominates and and then they're always squabbling about something. But the church invisible isn't doing that. We're, we're about our father's business. We don't have time for that. And we're focused on what God has called us to do regardless of denomination, etc. So yes, the church is one. Now, Jesus prays not only for the church to be one. uh, God keeps us and he's going to keep us as one. And he also, he says, by keeping us and the words he's speaking to us, God wants the church to have joy, full and complete joy. And we'll discuss the joy of Jesus in the next segment. the joy of Jesus is not a normal type of joy. Not the joy you feel like um, when a loved one shows up at the airport. It's, 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 it's a little deeper than that. Um, or you're surprised by joy or whatever. The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and so this joy, the, the, to, for a believer to have the joy of Jesus, it's endurance. It's an endurance. That's what the joy of Jesus for, is for. Right? It's for endurance. The joy of Jesus, the joy that was said before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. But what sustained him? How did he manage to go through that? Because he despised the shame. Nobody in their right mind wants to be beaten, whipped, and hung up on a cross. That's just not human. Okay? And so for Christ to endure that as a man, there had to be a greater outcome on the other side. And that joy or that anticipation of the greater outcome on the other side is what made him... Endurance. The apostle Paul says that we need endurance to run the race. This is not a race for who see who can get there. This is not a sprint. The Christian life is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And so to win the race, to stay in the race, you need endurance. Now, Christ gives us his endurance. In other words, he gives us his joy so that we can endure whatever it is we have to go through from him. And you'll see that later on because he says the world hates you because it hates me. So because of the hatred that's in the world, because of the evil one, Jesus says he prays for God to give the same joy that he had that got him through to where he needed to go. That same joy he's going to give to us. Now, I used to use this analogy, but I long since found out that's not exactly how it works. But I used to use an analogy of a tornado. And how, you know, I guess the old wise widespread tale is that you open, the tornado's coming from the south, you open the windows to the north, and that would equalize the pressure in the house so the house would not necessarily collapse on you. And, and that would only be if the tornado, then you get a direct hit. You get a direct hit from a tornado, yeah, it doesn't matter what what, what windows are open or closed. But it has to do something with the pressure in the air that even though it's, it could come near to you, the pressure in the air could cause the house to buckle or to collapse in. And so you keep the pressure even. Um, but that's actually an old wise fable. But I believe that the Holy Spirit, though, though the joy of Jesus, the power brought to us by the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, can keep us from imploding. So when the world... The pressure from the world comes in from the outside to make you crack up, to make you depressed, to make you lose it, to make you quit. When all that pressure is coming from the outside, the joy of Jesus is pushing back from the inside and it's propping us up and keeping us stable. We're kept by the power of God. Well, part of that power of God is manifested in joy, the joy of Jesus. It's not inherently a feeling. Put that out of your head. It's not something you always feel, but it's an anticipation. You just know that when you get through this, Job said that I know that my Redeemer lives, and though the skinworm devour this body, yet in my flesh I will see God when he stands upon the earth in the latter days. Job again said, "I know He knows the way that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That's the joy of Jesus, people. The anticipation. And so we endure. We endure this world. We endure the hate. We endure the attacks of the evil one. We have an endurance to deal with all these things because, and we're not moved and we're not shaken. Like I said, I just went through some things here, losing both parents within a four-month span of time, Um, having gallbladder surgery, Um, you know which means you can't work which means now you've got to deal with juggling finances and all these pressures are coming at us and then you know I have my daughters and then you know naturally as a parent you're concerned about them and their future and my granddaughter etc so all these pressures are coming at us okay well and good well and good but because of the joy of Jesus like the Apostle Paul, you can say, none of these things move me, neither do I count my life dear, only that I may finish my course. That's how Paul did that. The Apostle Paul said that when he was going, he called the elders of Ephesus, in the, I believe in the 17th chapter of the book of Acts, he called them together, and he said the Holy Spirit showed him that wherever he was going to go, he knew he was going to go to Rome, but he also knew that in the process of getting there, bonds and imprisonment awaited him and persecution etc etc but he said but that did not move me neither do I count my life dear but that I may finish the course this is what makes Shadrach Meshach and Abednego Hananiah Mishael and Azariah was which was their their real names but Shadrach Meshach and Abednego were their slave names when they were captured by the Babylonians or the Babylonian names but when the king said, listen, I'm going to give you guys a, another night to sleep on it, and then you know, see if you change your minds in the morning, I'm going to give you another chance, because I like you. And they answered him, O king, we are not careful to answer you. This is not a, this is not, there's nothing to think about here. Our God is well able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. He's quite capable of doing that. It's not a problem. But if not, see, there it is, the but if not. But if not, the apostles then say, I mean, the, the Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah then say, the three Hebrew men, they say this. But if not, we will not bow down. If we had to go to the furnace and get burnt up to crisp and just die, so we would rather die than worship someone who is, in fact, not God. Not going to happen. Wow wow that's because they had the joy of jesus yes even then there's a joy that god gives his people that there's an endurance the apostle paul said endure hardness as a soldier of christ that joy helps you endure the hardness and it's not always manifested as a feeling it can be but somehow when you go through something you don't know how you come out the other end and you're still praising and worshiping god you know, Job's wife came out after all that he went through and she said to him, Do you still maintain your integrity? Curse God and die. And Job said, Man, you speak like one of the foolish women. Shall we not receive good from the hand of the Lord only and not evil? The Lord gives and the Lord will take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The joy of Jesus helps us; to, is there to help us maintain our integrity. So that when all hell is going on around us, when all around us is sinking sand, on Christ's solid rock we stand. There was an old hymn, they don't sing it anymore, called Am I a Soldier of the Cross, a Follower of the Lamb. One of the verses said, Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fight to win the prize and sail through bloody seas? Sure, Lord, I must fight if I must gain. I will endure the cross and endure the pain, supported by your word. That's the Christian life. How do we do that? How do we get the endurance? Jesus, it's because Jesus prayed for us to have His joy, not just not just give you joy. He said, joy I give to you, but not as the world gives. He said, the joy I'm giving you cannot be taken away. See, happiness is based on circumstance. You're happy when everything goes good. You win the lottery, you're happy. Get any bitches from your house, you're sad. That's not the joy he gives. He said, the joy that I'm going to give you, no one can take it from you. It cannot be taken from you. You got it. You're saved. You got it. You have the endurance. You can persevere. Because Jesus has implanted his joy within us. That's an awesome and wonderful thing. Well, that's it for this edition. Like I said, I've shortened it to smaller segments but we will be back with some more on the prayer of Jesus it's going to get real interesting we're going to talk next time about the protection from the evil one and how truth sets us apart or sanctifies us and being sent into the world we'll take a look at all those things again this is these studies are not exhaustive it's just to get your appetite hopefully get you excited Maybe get you to go back to your word and do some study on your own. Uh, Prayer and the word. Don't wait to get called on to preach to testify. Stay in the word on a regular basis. And that way you'll be always be ready to pray, preach, or die for the gospel on a moment's notice. God bless and thank you so much for those of you who do take the time to listen.